Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Victory Life Church. We're so glad to have you here. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you are joining us for worship today. Uh, this, this year, we are going through a series where we talk about what does it look like to be a fully formed disciple. And so we'll be getting into that later on when we do our sermon, uh, and we hope that you're excited to hear more about that. If you are new today, I want to invite you to uh, fill out one of the cards on the backs of the seats in front of you. We'd love to connect with you and pray for you, uh, get to know you better. Uh, you, can turn in, you can turn those in at the Welcome Center over there. You'll get a free gift, uh, and we will follow up with you. I'd also like to welcome you if you are worshiping online with us. You can go to vlchurch.com. Click the banner at the top that says new here, uh, and you will be able to connect with us that way. We have a couple of announcements for you. Uh, the youth are having an event tonight called Candy Rush, uh, so we hope that they're excited about that. We're, we're kind of doing sort of a redemptive replacement for Halloween, uh, so we encourage our kids to kind of come in costumes that are fun as opposed to dark or evil or scary, uh, and also to in, invite their friends, uh, and it'll be an opportunity for us to share the gospel uh, with kids who might not already know Jesus. So we hope that uh, you will uh, pray for us as we seek to, to share the gospel with kids who don't have a youth group home. We also have baptism coming up on November 12th. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus and you have never been baptized, we would love to give you that opportunity. That's something that Jesus commands us to do, right? That, that when we come and we follow him, you believe and be baptized. Uh, so uh, if you feel like the Lord's been working in your life and you have a relationship with him, but you've never been baptized, we would love to give you the opportunity to do that. You can sign up online or you can call our church office if you are interested in being baptized. One more announcement for you, and that is baby dedication. So we have a baby dedication coming up the following Sunday after the baptism service. That'll be November 19th. Um, so if you have a little one that you would like to dedicate uh, to, the, to the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's kind of the, the traditional language, or just dedicate to follow Jesus, right? And, and put before the church and ask for for the church's support as you raise up your child, we would love to partner with you in that. Uh, and again, if you would like to sign up for that, you can do that online or you can do that by calling our church office. Now is the part of the service where we can start our worship uh, by giving. So you can give online, you can give through text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary today. Uh, we, we worship through our giving, we worship through uh, supporting the work of the Lord here in his local church, and so we thank you for your generosity in supporting our church. I want to invite you to stand now as we transition to the part of our service where we worship through singing. So pray with me. Lord, there is only one appropriate response to what you have done in our lives, to what you've done in our community, to what you've done for all of us by sending your son Jesus, and it's to worship. And so we come here today to worship you with all of our hearts. You are awesome, God. You are um, the thing that never changes. You are always the same. You always keep your promises, Lord. And so we praise you and we thank you for who you are in our lives and for who you are um, that never changes. In your name we pray. Amen.
never break your promises. You are good, always good, my Jesus.
This is how we know. This is how we know what love is. Just one look at your cross. And this is where we see. This is where we see how love works. For you surrendered your all. And this is how we know.
song was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And for that we say, God, you have such amazing grace in us. The sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. 
like a flood. In like a flood, his mercy reigns on ending love. Amazing grace. It is amazing grace that we celebrate this morning that could save you and I in our sin, in our repetitive sin, in our pride, in our selfishness. What a gracious Lord to give us so much better than we deserved and to give us his unmerited favor welling up into eternal life. You may be seated. Today we're going to get to celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion together. And so at this time, I'm going to invite our communion servers to come and take your places, both in the front and center aisles. I wanted to read to you today from some pretty impressive theology in the book of Hebrews to get our minds thinking about this amazing grace that we've experienced. You see, the Old Testament had a sacrificial system by which men and women could come into the presence of God only by recognizing their sin and the fear of the Lord. And they would come and make sacrifices time and again in order to say, yes, I recognize that I have sinned and I have no right to the presence of God. But when Jesus came, he abolished that system by fulfilling it. And I want to read you words from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and following that calls Jesus our priest. But when Christ appeared as our high priest of the good things that have come, through an even greater and more perfect tabernacle. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, thus securing for us eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, the Lord has not only granted you salvation, purification, as Hebrews puts it today, but he's put you into position where you can serve the living God in spite of your sin. Today, you didn't bring a goat or a calf or a turtle dove to church with you. Today you brought a righteousness that is from Christ. But that was purchased with a costly price, purchased on the cross for you and I, where he made himself the sacrifice for sins so that all the good things of God could come to us and all the good things of God could be done through us because of Jesus. So today we celebrate communion today recognizing the cross of Christ and what it means for us being reconciled to God through redemption in his blood. And today, we would like to ask all of you who call upon the name of the Lord to participate with us in communion. And the way we do that here at Victory Life is simply to stand and move towards the center aisles. You can come and receive the bread and the cup and then exit back through the back aisles, returning to your seats. If you're unable today to come and receive the elements, just raise a hand to about shoulder height, and we'll have some of our servers come and serve you directly. Hold on to both the elements until we've prayed over them and we will participate in the Lord's Supper together. So today as you come, 
I would have you ask, as I often do, to be asking the Lord, Lord, what and where do I need to ask forgiveness? What stands between you and me? Because you have purchased my redemption by your blood, both yesterday, today, and forevermore. And therefore, in honor of the Lord this morning, examine yourself and say, Lord, please forgive me for anything that stands between you and I this morning. I want to take communion today in full relationship with you. Would you stand and would you come?
Is there anyone who has not been served this morning? Would you just raise a hand? I want to make sure everybody is able to participate. On the night before his death, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, the arrangement between God and man, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took on flesh. We thank you that you didn't wait for us to come to you. But as our great high priest, you mediated between us and the Father. You made things right between us and God. While we were dead in our sin, you came after us. While we were enemies of God, you took on flesh. And you gave your mortal body for us. Even to death. Death on a cross. So we honor that sacrifice today. We honor your coming to us we thank you for coming to us and allowing your body to be broken to ransom us from sin and death. Praise be to your name. Let us eat together. Lord, this blood of the new covenant and the representative cups in each one of our hands signifies that you have made a sacrifice on our behalf far greater than any sacrifice we could bring to you. Lord, you made the first sacrifice when you covered Adam and Eve, and you made the last sacrifice hanging on that cross. We thank you that you have always made a way for us, and we thank you today that through your blood, your forgiveness for us and your love for us is not hanging by a thread. But our salvation is full and it's free today because of the blood of the Lamb. We praise your holy name. Let us drink together. Lord, truly our chains are gone. Truly we have been set free. You have ransomed us from death brought us into new life. You have done what we could not out of love and for your glory. We bless and honor your name today for it ought to be blessed and it ought to be honored. Continue to have your will and your way among us in the moments to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Welcome once more to Victory Life Church this morning. We're so glad that you are worshiping with us. You can go ahead and deposit that cup in the little receptacle in front of you. There's one in the seat back. I'm going to put mine back on the synthesizer because it looks like it needs a cup. And uh, get that out of the way for the remainder of the service. If there are remaining young disciples who'd like to go on down to young disciples, you may go ahead and make your way down there. And... Uh, Get a message on your level. So enjoy.
For those of you old disciples who remain with us this morning, we're going to turn the page, literally and figuratively today, to a new aspect of a fully formed disciple. We're going to be talking for the next three weeks about the character of Christ. Uh, Not like the character, like the stage actor, where we're talking about the the nature of Christ, the divine character of the Lord Jesus, and what that means for us. So we're going to be in three passages today, but the passages are all related, and they're all in the same book. So we're going to start in Luke 24 today, or 23, forgive me, it's 23:34. It's going to be Luke 23. We're then going to move back uh, to Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and following, and then we're going to end today, we're going to end today in the 17th chapter of Luke, verse 3 and following, all the same topic, all from the same biblical writer. You'll see how the things fit together as we get a little bit closer <clears throat> I decided one morning this week after I dropped off my kids at school to call one of my buddies. So I picked up the phone and I dialed. I heard the ring and all of a sudden I heard nothing. So I looked down at my phone and sure enough, the number was ticking up. You know, one, two, three, four. Someone had opened the phone and, and, and answered the phone, but I didn't hear anything. So as we all do when that happens, I said, hello? No response. I said, hello, are you there? I heard no response. So I put the phone a little bit closer to my ear, and I heard this. So I thought either my buddy's dying, or one of his toddlers has picked up the phone. And sure enough, I continued to hear this breathing. I said, is anybody there? So I said, I said, sweetie, sweetie, it's Matt. It's Matt. Is your dad home? Is he available? And all of a sudden, from the background, I hear, it's my buddy. But he's not in the same room. And he doesn't sound very happy. And all of a sudden, I hear this little breathing person on the phone, not talking to me, but talking to dad. She goes, I'm sorry, daddy, I touched your phone again. And the word again was what made me laugh. (laughs) Because I thought, I'm pretty sure that this is probably a a common occurrence. The phone rings, little kid goes and picks it up before mom and dad have the opportunity. And I hear, I continue to hear the, so I figure this guy's in the shower. So I just said, all right, sweetie, it's okay, I'll, I'll call your dad later. And I hung up, and she probably talked into the phone for the next 15 minutes. I have no idea. But I figured that he would have probably very little trouble forgiving her, even though it was again probably happened multiple times. I figured that was no big deal. In fact, I bet even if she dropped that phone in the toilet and flushed, that that he'd forgive her even though he might be pretty upset. Because, you know, if your heart's in the right place towards somebody, it's easy to forgive. You know, the character of Christ is what ought to flow out of our hearts. And the reason we designed this series of messages the way that we did by talking about a personal relationship with Jesus And then talking about the character of Christ is because if we come into the spiritual oneness with Christ that we've been talking about the last three weeks, then the very nature of Christ, the divine nature, the divine character of Christ should come out and through us. If if we're really in spiritual oneness with the Lord, then we take on his character. And as I began to think about this series of messages and pray over the last few weeks, what what aspect of the Lord's divine nature, of his character, do I need to bring to the forefront first? I got a very clear answer. 
And I felt like we needed to go into a couple different places in Scripture today to paint the picture of the divine nature of his character that we ought to embody. And so in order for us to kind of keep our minds uh, 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 centered today, in order to kind of give you a basic outline, I'm going to use a little bit of alliteration because we're going to be in three passages. So today I'm going to call this message, I usually don't title my message for our purposes, but, but for our purposes today I have, I'm going to call it the cross, the comparison, and the contrite. The cross, the comparison, and the contrite. We'll see the cross in Luke chapter 23. We're going to see the comparison in Luke chapter 6, and then we're going to see the contrite, or the contrition, in Luke chapter 17. And I think you're going to be challenged today. In fact, if you're not challenged today, then you're not awake, because the Lord's going to say some pretty challenging words about us needing to embody his character. Let's look at our first passage today, Luke 23, 34, one verse and one verse only from Luke 23. This is where Jesus is being crucified. And the very first words that Jesus utters from the cross are these, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This simple phrase, as the people who are crucifying him are dividing his possessions before he's even dead, is one of the most shocking phrases in all of Scripture. Because Jesus is asking for forgiveness and mercy to be given to the same people who are bringing about his heinous and murderous and torturous execution. He wants them to be forgiven. This is the character of Christ displayed in all of its awesomeness. And I don't say awesome like a touchdown awesome, just awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping awesomeness. That these people who are killing him, literally, are worthy of his forgiveness. Jesus didn't write them off. He didn't condemn the people who had falsely accused him and falsely condemned him, who had mocked him, who had spit on him, who had blindfolded him and punched him, who had whipped him and scourged him and beaten a crown of thorns into his brow and now most recently have nailed his hands into a log. He didn't condemn them. He wanted them to be shown mercy where none of them had shown him mercy. He wanted them to be forgiven. If this is the full measure of divine forgiveness, let none of us call ourselves forgiving. It doesn't get more forgiving than this. Jesus was the least deserving person of these wrongs in history, yet he endured these wrongs for your sake and for mine. He would have been perfectly within his human rights to condemn these people, perfectly within his godly rights to smite them. Yet he did not. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus wanted the people who had treated him worse than anyone will ever treat you or me to be forgiven. That is the backdrop of forgiveness and all teaching on forgiveness in the New Testament. That's the backdrop. And so when Jesus says some pretty tough things in Luke chapter 6 and Luke chapter 17, the backdrop must be the cross. Because his level of forgiveness is so high, it's so divine, it's so not human 
that we ought to go, wow, Jesus, how could I ever be like you? So let's turn to the second teaching on forgiveness in the book of Luke 6. This teaching on forgiveness that Christ gives us is some of the most famous teaching in all of Scripture. And I think today, if we can locate ourselves in this comparison with the backdrop being the cross, we're going to be challenged. Let's see what Jesus teaches about forgiveness. Famous passage. Maybe you've heard it before. Judge not, verse 37 of Luke 6. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully formed, or trained, I should say, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself don't see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and you will see clearly to take the speck out that is in your brother's eye. Some of the most famous, challenging, tough teaching in all of Scripture. Because Jesus is telling us, stop being you. Stop being human, because this is the human spirit in a nutshell. Stop it. Judgmental, critical, self-righteous, always comparing our righteousness to the righteousness of somebody who's worse than us. Just human nature. We're always telling ourselves, we're all right, because we're not like them. And here Jesus says, that is the very spirit that you need to get out of your spirit. Now, these are very simple words. Judge not. Condemn not, forgive, give. And the only word here that we can kind of dive into in the original language is the word forgive. But judge and condemn are just very simple. So I really thank Jesus for his parable because he helps get down to the, to the brass tacks, if you will. He, he gets down to the, to the root level of the issue. And the root level of the issue in the human heart is this critical spirit, this self-righteous spirit that we bear that's always comparing our level of righteousness to the lacking righteousness of somebody else. Always seeing the wrongs in others while not being very critical of ourselves. In fact, the word crino, which is the word for judgment, is where we get our word critic. Crino, critic, critical. The idea that we see the wrongs in other people while ignoring the wrongs in ourselves. The food critic might go to the restaurant and say service was slow and the food was lukewarm never mentioning that they burned their grilled cheese last night. The, the, the movie critic can, can go to the movies and say, that was brilliant, but that was awful. They had a good performance and they had a bad performance, but they never have to mention that they forgot their line during the middle school performance of Annie, Get Your Gun. Never have to mention it. See, this is where we live. We forget the day we forgot our lines, but we judge the, the, the job that other people are doing regularly. It's a critical, self-righteous spirit. So why does Jesus start there? If forgiveness is the end game, why does he start with this critical spirit? Well, the reason he starts with the critical spirit is simple. A critical spirit is the gateway to unforgiveness. If you sit in the judgment seat continually and you are rendering judgment on the actions of others, 
it's going to be easier for you to end up with a spirit of unforgiveness. It's a natural uh, movement, if you will. If I'm critical over here, I'll condemn right here, and then I'll be unforgiving over here, and then I don't have to give anything over here. It's a a very natural progression. It's a progression that's natural for every single one of us. Here's the problem. He didn't come to judge. In fact, the nature of Christ was that he came to earth suspending judgment, even though he knew all the sinful motivations of the people to whom he would minister. Think about that for just a minute. Imagine, for instance, if I standing here today knew all of the sinful motivations of your heart. Imagine, just for a moment, and then, having, having acquired all of your sinful motivations, all the things you don't want people to see, all the things you keep in the dark, all the things that, that, that we don't talk about in church, then I knelt down and washed your feet. I would have to suspend judgment for that, right? I would have to have no aspect of a, of a critical nature in me. Even though it would be very easy for me to go, Jeff, dude, that's wrong. I mean, sin is sin, right? If Jeff punches me, I'll be like, dude, why? Right? If someone steals from me, I'll say, don't steal from me, that's wrong. But you know the nature of human relationships is it's not always that black and white, is it? There's a lot of gray. Judges think they know the motivations of other people. Judges think they can divide the matter rightly. Judges think they know why people did what they did. And Jesus says, don't think that way. Don't think you know why people did what they did. Don't think that you have it in the back of your mind. Don't think that you can divide this matter properly. Suspend judgment as I have suspended judgment. Ultimately, that you can give the way that you're supposed to give. Suspend judgment. Jesus came to give. The Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in order to do that, he had to look past the sin. He had to look past the sinful motivations. He had to look past the cruddy behavior to die for us and give us what we needed. That's what he expects of us. He also says, do not condemn. Condemnation is reality to the matter. Why does my mic cut out right in this spot? Avoid this spot. That's bringing finality to the matter, right? that's, That's what condemnation is. The judge says, you are condemned, you're dead. You say, Pastor Matt, I might have a bit of a critical spirit, but I do not condemn people. I just write them off. That's condemning. You're like, no, I don't condemn people. Pastor Matt, I forgive people. I just avoid them and never speak to them again. So what you're telling me is they're dead to you. When you avoid people and you won't speak to them anymore, you're telling me they're no longer a person. They're dead to you. You've condemned them. You've condemned them. Now, let's just stop for just a minute. You don't need to, to, to go try to make things right between you and your sexual abuser or you and your physical abuser. Got it? That's not what I'm saying today. Okay? You can avoid that person. You, could, you don't need to speak to that person. You don't need to put yourself back in that position. Okay? But, but, but we're talking about interpersonal relationships here where we, it's very easy for us to condemn. We make people dead to us all the time. I got no time for that nonsense. Therefore, I have no time for that person anymore. And that's exactly how Jesus has dealt with you. So you're perfectly justified. That was sarcasm. So that, that, that's not the nature of Christ. Jesus could have written me off like four times this week. I'm serious. I, it is funny, kind of. 
It's funny in light of just how generous and merciful and loving he is, but, but it's not funny that, that, that by human standards, he, he, you did that again? What's wrong with you? I'm out. Jesus says you don't condemn people. You don't write them off. Don't treat them like they're dead to you. Offer forgiveness. Offer forgiveness. Now, this is where the original language can help us, the original language of the New Testament being Greek. I looked up this word forgiveness, and I got into some of those big, thick books that have dust on them, and I only read while wearing a smoking jacket in front of a roaring fire. And I got into this book. Actually, it's in this nice little software package. But anyhow, and it said this word forgive, it, the, the, the meaning, and I, I want to get this right, so I'm going to look down on my notes because I want, I want, to, want to make sure that, that I'm good here. The meaning of this word forgive is to bring a, cessa- a cessation to the current state of things. So the meaning of this word forgive is, is to bring an end to the current state of things or to, to cease the current state of things because things are weird. Things are off. When forgiveness needs to be offered, the relationship is strained. And to forgive is to work to bring an end to that strain, to that weirdness, to that just thing that's going on that just feels icky. That's forgiveness. I'm going to work towards ending the strain, the ugliness, the weirdness, the offense that I'm feeling. I will work towards it. I expect this out of my staff. You may or may not know this, but sometimes pastors get criticized. You might not know it, but it's true. Because it's a really big Bible, and we don't often do everything that's in there. And most people came from another church at some point, and they liked some of what that church did, and they hoped that we do it. Sometimes, I stood there again, evil. <laughs> so so we, we sometimes get criticized, and, and I'll say, all right, your job is to move in. Your job is to move in. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is, whether or not that person caused us offense, the relationship is strained, weird, odd. Something's not right. And a leader moves in. And a leader tries to make sure that the relationship doesn't stay in that state. That's forgiveness. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what Jesus did. When the relationship was weird, odd, ugly, and strained, he moved in. We needed to ask his forgiveness, but, but he was the one who moved in. Are you catching that? We need to ask his forgiveness, yet he was the one who moved towards us. That's why verse 40 is so instructive, is it not? When Jesus says, you're not above your teacher. You you need to be trained like me. You need to suspend judgment, reject this idea of condemnation, move in towards people and give to them, whether or not they're deserving. Pastor Matt, they're not deserving of my forgiveness. They've done that over and over and over again. I shouldn't have to move in. Well, Jesus shouldn't have had to move in towards you. You're supposed to be like your teacher. You're supposed to move in. You're supposed to end this current state of things if, if you can. So what's the measure of this forgiveness? I want to take you just to a supporting passage for just a minute. And this is in Romans chapter 12. I told you we'd be back here in a few weeks. Verse 17 and following. This is the measure of forgiveness. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. I love that he reminds us that we're loved. 
but leave it to the wrath of God. So if someone's done wrong by you, don't sit and stew in that offense. See if you can make it right. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, so this is someone who has caused you real pain, real harm, real offense. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do. That's why after he says forgive, he says give. Because ultimately, you're, not, you're doing the opposite of condemning someone. You're continuing to give into the relationship, even when you could be the offended party. Even when you could be the one that, that, that has had pain brought upon you, you continue to give, just like Jesus did, and you overcome the evil of what was done to you with good. Do you see why this is some of the most awful teaching in all of Scripture? Who wants to do this? Who, who wants to live this way? I, I love, I really do, when, when a person who's not a Christian looks at me and goes, I am not a Christian, but I love the ethic of Jesus. I'm like, no, you don't. Do you realize the standard that he's calling you to? Folks, hurt and offense are much easier emotions to process than humility and forgiveness. That's why we stew. That's why we develop the evangelical root of bitterness. Because hurt and offense are far easier emotions to process than humility and forgiveness. They just are. So we're taking the easy way out when we stew, when we write people off, when we decide we can't forgive. We're taking the easy way out. But that isn't what Jesus did. And so he's going to call us to a, a higher standard and therefore, we're going to need to be contrite. We're going to need to bend our knee to the Lord and Master and say, I'll do things your way. Let's see what the contrite do. Last past Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and following. Jesus says, not to the Pharisees, but to his disciples in Luke 17, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and turns to you seven times a day, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Do you see how gracious and loving Jesus is when the disciples say, I can't forgive the way you ask? This is also sarcasm. Jesus says, if you had faith this big, you could forgive the way I'm calling you to forgive. They say increase our faith because he's described an impossible situation. So let's go back and, and, and discover this impossible situation. Look at verse 3 again. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So if you've been hurt, offended, shocked, or, or otherwise not treated well, it's okay to say, hey, when you did that, I felt this way. Not condemn or not judge. You're a jerk, you shouldn't have done that, let me call you some other names, and now you know how I feel. No, you go there and you say, hey, that hurt, that stunk. 
I didn't appreciate that. That did something in here, and that really bothered me. You're allowed to go and say that was wrong. I don't appreciate that if you do it in a, in a humble way. So that, that's fine. Go, 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 go make it so things aren't awkward and weird. Don't sit on it for three and four and eight and, and nine weeks and let things get weirder and harder and weirder and harder. But then Jesus in verse four goes ahead and gives them an impossible situation. And if that same jerk, that's not what it says in the scripture, but that's really what's implied, does the same thing seven times in one day and goes, please forgive me, do it. Forgive them. Jesus knows he's asking them the impossible by human standards. So they respond, Jesus, verse 5, increase our faith. How could you ask us to do that? We don't have enough faith to do that. And his gracious and loving response is, is palpable. Guys, if you had faith this big, you could do that. I don't care what the mulberry tree is in your life. Uh, uh, turn your attention to the screen for the picture of a mulberry tree. I'm kidding, I don't have one. But I don't know what, I don't know how big that tree is in your life. It can be moved. I don't care how deep the roots go of that offense, it can be broken. If you had faith this big, that's why relationship with him is so important. That's not human, it's divine. That type of forgiveness is divine. You don't have it in you. Just admit it. I don't have that type of forgiveness. I get ticked off at people. I can get critical of people. I can get mad at people. And the Lord says, quit it. Quit it. Because the forgiveness, the forbearance that he offers is divine if we'll ask for it. Now, the good thing about Jesus is that he then uses some sweeter words to make sure that they really get the concept. So let's go ahead in verse 7 and, and take a look at the sweeter words of Christ to them regarding their need to forgive. He says to his disciples, not to the Pharisees, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to your servant when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he does what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done what is our duty. Not sweet or comforting at all. When you've forgiven in the impossible situations where you think you can't forgive, when you bring somebody back from the death that you've consigned them to and condemning them, when you forgive the repeated offense, when you have done that, look at me and say, I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done my duty. Why would Jesus say something so harsh to his disciples? Because this symbol is the backdrop of forgiveness. He has no time for unforgiveness because of what he did on the cross. He can't allow his people to stew in offense and hurt because of what he did on the cross. This is the backdrop. Father, forgive them. They know that what they do. This is why he can say to us, 
When you forgive, don't look for me to go, so good, so good. That was a home run of a forgiveness. So proud of you, let's go get ice cream. None of that. Jesus says, when you forgive the way I commanded you, you look at me with your knees bent in front of the cross and say, that was only my duty. I'm an unworthy servant. You have to be in tune with what Jesus did for you on the cross to forgive the way he calls you to forgive. Because it is on your knees in front of the cross of your Lord and Savior where you recognize as a contrite human being, I have no right to hold on to offense or anger. I have no right to kill people off in my mind because he brought me back from the dead when I was already dead. I was already condemned in my sin and my trespass, and he said, I'm coming you. I have no right to not forgive. So when you've forgiven, when you've done what he's commanded of you, when you've quit writing people off, when you've said, I will not live in a spirit of criticism, I will not live in a spirit of offense, I will not live in the sickening spirit of judgment and condemnation, when I have forgiven and given even to my enemies the way Christ did, then and only then can I say, I'm unworthy of you. I only did what she asked. Such is the measure of the forgiveness of Christ. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In all of its awesomeness, he calls you to do the same. That is the character of Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we've been forgiven much. We've been loved immensely. Lord, I don't know where I would have been on that Passover day in 33 A.D. Would I be adding my insults to theirs? Would I be participating in the scorn? I don't know. I'd like to think not, but I know how sinful I have been. But I know if you can forgive the very people who did their worst to you, then if I have faith in you, I can forgive people who have done their worst to me, and far less. So Lord, heal me of a critical spirit, one that criticizes others and puts myself in the seat of judgment. Heal me of a condemning spirit. One that says that person no longer gets any of my attention or energy. 
Heal me of an unforgiving spirit. One that says, I don't have to go. They did the wrong. Heal me of a spirit that only wants to give to those who love me. As opposed to giving to those who don't. Heal me of that spirit. And create in me the spirit that matches my Lord's spirit. If that's your prayer or something like it, I just invite you to pray it right now. Lord Jesus, fill us with the faith of a mustard seed. We have such a high calling. Let nothing get in the way. Let nothing get in the way. And Lord, in light of your cross today, we will say, we are just unworthy servants and we've only done our duty. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are able, would you stand today? Some very challenging words from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. The good news is he loves you very much. And he cares about you very much. And he wants you to participate with him in what he's doing in the world very much. But he gave one more injunction regarding forgiveness. He says, if you go to church, or in his words, the altar, and you recognize there's something that still exists between you and a brother or sister in Christ, leave your gift there and go make it right. And so, folks, my last word to you today is, in accordance with the Lord's word, if you need to leave something behind and go work on a cessation of the current state of things, make sure you honor the Lord by doing that this week. Make your best attempt, and so far as it, you are able, try to live at peace with all men. God bless you.